Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Impact of Influence, the Murdoch family murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful that you've decided to spend time with us. We know there's a lot of people talking about the Alec Murdoch trial, and we have been talking about it for well over a year now, and uh, it's been great that a lot of you have hung with us. Some of you are new, and we love it that you're uh, taking time to spend with us. For those who don't know, I am Matt Harris, Seton Tucker, the other host, and you can reach out to us on Murdoch Podcast Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com, and we're cranking out the podcast a little quicker than we normally do, a lot quicker. Usually it's about once a week over the, the last year and, and months. Uh, Seton has been in the thick of things in Walterboro for the trial. Uh, Seton, good morning, good day, Hello. good afternoon, whatever we're in. Uh, I don't know what time it is. It's been a really crazy busy week. I know it, right? I know it. And I've been trying to be on court TV and I had technical problems both times. And I've punched myself in the face like eight times, but <laughs> it's good. It's good. And we're going to, I'm going to be down uh, in Walterboro next week, along with you for some of the days. So let's begin kind of where we left off in the podcast that we did, I believe on Wednesday, and we're recording this on Friday. So we would start with day four is when, uh, the, the witnesses are starting to be called. And is it, let's start with the, 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 the scene. Is it starting to get a little more crowded now? Are there a lot more people showing up that are uh, members of the community? Are there more reporters showing up? What's the deal? Well, I would say day four, Thursday, was actually not that much different from other days. There were a few members of the public, but today is Friday and day five, we have Actually, there were more people, and I talked to the court staff, and they said that they are allowing 60 members of the general public to come in, and it's basically first come, first serve. And I asked them if they were full today, and they said they were close to being full. So, But this was the first day that right. I actually saw more of a crowd. Okay. We're going to break this down. It would be day four and day five, parts of those, and we combine the two. So. If you've not been following along, we just, it's easier because some things on one day relate to another day. So this is kind of a wrap of the two days into one, just to let everyone know how this is, how we're going to talk about this. And I would think it's similar to how, if a jury broke right now, how they would all talk about it kind of thing. And we're also, I want to point out that we're both kind of looking at as, what would we think if we were on the, the jury, right? Seeing like we're, we're not uh, experts in a lot of this stuff. No, absolutely. As I am listening, I am trying to listen as if I was a juror, 
Like I am keeping an open mind. I'm listening to both sides. I'm no expert in anything. I am just a regular person living in South Carolina. So that's how I am approaching this. And we are going to banter back and forth. We don't, we don't script this out. Like we think that a lot of people would be sitting at home, except we, the one difference is we've been on this story for whatever it is since uh, June of 2021. Okay. So combining the last few days, we, the, the body cam footage was shown, which was interesting because you see Alec and his reaction. Also, they played the 911 call unredacted. So the things that were redacted, what popped out to you, uh, Seton? The first thing that popped out to me was the fact that he is immediately bringing up this threats that Paul has been receiving in relation to the boating accident. And again, it's the first time anybody's heard this. Well, the public has heard this entire call. Uh, when the 911 dispatcher asked Murdoch if Maggie and Paul shot themselves, he replied, oh no, hell no. And he went on to say that both victims were shot in the head. There's blood everywhere. It says, I can see his brains, which is horrible. And it mentions a, a hole in Maggie's head, which is horrifying. I understand now why that was redacted, because well, that is yes. potentially uh, evidence that a killer, if there's another, if it is not him, uh, would not know. But my question is, some of the information that was redacted, I'm questioning why it was redacted. I don't know why the fact that he was questioning this boating accident, why, why would they possibly redact that? That seems odd to me. The only thing I can think of is you don't want to make the, anybody involved in the boating look like a suspect unnecessarily. Well, that's true. That's, what I, that's my theory. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's what I'm going with. There is also a timeline issue in this 911 call. Murdoch told the dispatcher last time he had talked to his wife was roughly two hours before, and that he wasn't at the crime scene at the time of the killings. Prosecutors said at the beginning of the trial, they had cell phone evidence that put Murdoch at the scene with victims. And that's much closer than at two hours because this calls it. 10.05 or 6, and 8.44 is the video. So that's an hour and, and, and 20 minutes or something. I mean, timeline is going to be huge with this because that was also seemed to be the biggest thing that stuck out with me with the SLED interview was when he was questioned about the last time he saw Maggie and Paul, he mentions about riding around with Paul on around the property they there's allegedly a video well we should hopefully see this but he doesn't mention being at the kennels with maggie and paul and yet we know he was at 8 44 because of the, the video that's coming out uh, yes. at least at least that's what we assume is in the video we haven't seen it yet i think inconsistency with timelines and what he said that's that's going to be a theme it, it is however Let's let's just yap about that timeline for a second. Maggie's cell phone was dead at eight fifty four, and Paul's phone was eight forty nine. Okay, eight forty nine. So you have to uh, assume she's killed before eight fifty four. 
and the video the, the, the video is 844 to 845. So let's say 845, but he's not leaving the bodies or, or the phone, I mean, unless he takes Maggie's phone with him. But 849, Paul's phone turns off. 906, he starts his truck. So no matter how you look at it, even if he kills them both at 849, it's 17 minutes till he gets in the truck and leaves. No matter what he said about where he was and where he wasn't, that's, that's the timeline. But why would he not be, because we learn later when we listen to the SLED interview, which came up on day five, he doesn't tell the officer about being at the kennels. He says he takes mm-hmm. a snap, which is what was originally reported. He took a snap and then he went to go check on his mother who suffers from dementia. But why wouldn't he tell people? Why wasn't he truthful right. about this? He says he gets up from the nap and doesn't see any of them from the nap until the time he gets in the car. Yes. Possibly he was in shock. I don't know, but that is, I think as, as a mind of a juror, I'd be like, wait a second. Why wouldn't you say that you were at the the kennels with your wife and son? Why would you say you took the snap and then immediately woke up and went to go check on your mother? If you want to dig even deeper into it, if I want to, he says he took the nap, he called him, he couldn't find him, didn't know where they they were. But when he comes home that night at 10 or five, he says, uh, they weren't there, so the first thing I thought, they must be over at the dog kennels. Well, it's not that far away. If you wanted to get a hold of them when you got up from your nap, you go to the dog kennels. It's only a stone's throw away. But it seems like they would actually take a vehicle over to... Yeah, it does seem weird. ...to the kennels. I mean, it, I don't think they typically walk there. I think they, they would take a vehicle to that area. Well, they were saying they did it or thought they would do it one of the one of the officers because of the rain that they they wouldn't take a nice stroll for the rain okay another you know we're sticking with a problem for alec is the fact that he tells in the nine one tells the 911 operator he checked for the pulse he tells the officers to show up as well yet it's a very very bloody scene and there doesn't appear to be much blood on alec and he actually, uh, he told the officers that he attempted to roll Paul over to see, I guess, to check for a pulse. And his arms were, his body was face down. I guess his arms were under him. And when I was on court TV with uh, Vinnie Politan, he was talking about a story or a case that he had when he was a prosecutor in New York. And there was a rabbi that somebody was murdered, family member, and he won this case, he thinks mainly because there was no blood on the rabbi. The rabbi said he tried to help him, there was no blood, and that the jury really ate that up. Interesting note by Buddy Vinny. That really seemed to be a big theme in the courtroom today because they're talking about Elk's clothing the night of the accident. The officers described it as clean. They don't see any evidence of blood. And they're both kind of taking it in different ways. The prosecution is saying he clearly changed. He clearly cleaned up. The defense is saying, well, he doesn't look like someone who just shot his son in the head at close proximity. There's that. Um, But they're also, the other thing they're kind of, they're they're hinting at, and I think it's going to come out in days to come, is that Ellick allowed his whole property to be searched. They allowed the house and maybe the police didn't do their job properly searching the house. 
in the house that becomes goes back to our conversation with you and talks with family members that the family was in the house the night of those murders. They were allowed back in. Yeah. We haven't heard about a bunch of bagged clothes or bagged shoes other than the ones Alec wore. And you would think you're going to grab everything you can find, right? Definitely. And we are hearing now in this video where, where Paul and Alec were riding around the property, Alec is not wearing the same clothes that he is pictured in in the dash cam videos, this white t-shirt and these greenish khaki shorts. That would be a big win for the prosecution, for sure. So where are these clothes? Are they, we just don't know yet. Are they out there? Were they collected? Or were, was, were they never searched for? As just a person of the general population, I'm listening to all this, but I'm also thinking the defense's job is to pick apart every single little thing mm-hmm. that the prosecution is doing. Like, for example... They are talking about maybe they're not wearing foot coverings while they're walking around the crime scene. But we hear from a sled officer today that says an outdoor crime scene, you don't typically put foot protection on. I, I think the right. truth is somewhere in the middle. And as just I'm trying to just keep an open mind about everything and listen to it all with subjective ears. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. The tire tracks, Harpoolian was was dwelling on that. All with a, a good point. Doesn't necessarily mean Alec didn't do it, but it does seem like there was a lack of effort to figure out the tire track situation. And again, it was raining, so it didn't it didn't last very long. But that seemed to be a point he was driving home that maybe they didn't think about other people. That would bother me. You know, these tire tracks, and they pointed out yesterday, maybe footprints, maybe these things may not have been preserved. Again, I'm still keeping an open mind. Maybe they were, and we just don't know about it. Or maybe they got ruined so quickly by the rain that they didn't have a chance to do much with it. The other thing we want to talk about, because it was talked about so much, the general vibe, the prosecution saying that, or trying to show that Alec was not acting as we would think someone who has just come upon their mother and son murder. His actions and what he said didn't jive. The defense is saying 
Well, it doesn't jive because he was in shock and some of the things he said didn't make any sense, like uh, loading the shotgun with the wrong ammunition. And he, he knows better than that. Right, so, so that was right, how they were going after all the first responders and, and the, the police officers, et cetera. Did you think the same thing? I did. I mean, they were saying that it seemed like Alec was initially trying to shift blame to the boating accident and that it had to be a result of the boating accident because Paul had been receiving threats. He had had some physical altercations as a result of it. And I don't know. I mean, whether he was trying to shift blame or whether he was genuinely concerned that this is what happened. There's a, a moment that the prosecution seized on where the, he's talking upset to one of the officers. Somebody else comes by and he like changes and goes, hey, how are you? Something like that. Right? They pointed um, that out. You know, it's, it's that was something that I, I found interesting that they brought out because to me, I think Alec is was raised to just be very polite, probably. And so him saying that, in my mind, doesn't really prove guilt or innocence. I believe, if anyone who cares about my opinion, the that it's going to be a confirmation bias thing. That if you believe he did it, everything is every action he did shows guilt. If you don't believe he did it, every action shows that he was truly upset. And if you are on the fence, it probably doesn't sway you either way, as doesn't the reaction in the courtroom as they're playing some of these exhibits and, and videos where Alec is crying off and on, sometimes not, sometimes a little, sometimes there's not enough tears for people, sometimes there are too much tears for people. And uh, again, I think that even if he's crying, let's, if he is crying and it's a real cry, he could be crying because he did it and he's upset. He could be crying because he didn't do it. I don't think it means diddly-do, and I think everybody's trying to make a big deal out of it, and he, I don't think it matters. He did seem genuinely upset. You know, when I watched from behind, since I was in the courtroom, you couldn't really see him, but I did watch back some of the court TV stuff, and there were actually real tears. And again, you don't know why the real tears right. were happening, so I don't know what what really to make of that, but what I do want to say is looking at the family members behind them, you see them comforting each other. You see Buster visibly upset. You see John Marvin comforting him, and this has to be tough on them. It has to be really, really hard. It is worth pointing out that uh, both his brothers, his sister, Buster, they were there. We have to clear something up that Snyder said misspoke on one of our previous episodes, uh, Seton, that, that we had talked about. They were gone the witness list, so he misspoke that they weren't allowed in the courtroom. But you've since spoken to him about that. So North Carolina and South Carolina laws differ a little bit. Buster and John Marvin are considered victims having lost family members, so they are allowed to be in the court despite being witnesses. Good to straighten that out. So speaking of uh, straightening things out, let's go to the truck. Paul's truck was brought up in the discussion 
about the vehicles that were at the kennel because Alec at one point mentions he thought Paul would have driven his truck up to the kennels. And then we find out it wasn't there. And the one officer says, we found it at 10 o'clock the next day. So people started thinking, okay, was it stolen? Was what, What's the deal on that truck? What do you have for Seton? I mean, it was all over. People thought maybe this was the getaway vehicle. But today it was cleared up in court that it appears as if the car broke down. So that seems to be not a point of contention. And we knew from you talking to John Marvin that Paul was driving John Marvin's truck that night. Yes. So we got that one right. You nailed it. All right. You're, you're doing it. You're doing great. Okay. So we go to the Friday testimony and we find out that this is, I think it's pretty big. The, the investigator who is uh, Laura Rutland, the CCSO crime scene investigator, was on the stand for a long time on Friday. And I thought a pretty big thing was was the hair that was found. Explain, Seton. It just said that there was, they didn't really go into detail, but they, were, they just said that there was brown hairs found in Maggie's hand. I so, thought that was really interesting. I, I hope we find out more information about this where they tested because if you have hairs in your hand, that to me indicates that there could potentially be have been some sort of struggle. There should be more about that coming up, you would think, right? Um, yeah. The investigator just said that she did not believe that was that did not indicate a struggle. But okay. I, I wasn't under I was unclear about why she didn't think that. I would Again, I'd like to hear more about this brown hair found in Maggie's hand. Seton, long week for us all. Did great. Uh, we are going to be doing an upcoming bonus episode. We are going to be talking about some of the upcoming witnesses. So that is to come. Also want to give a shout out to a few people who actually came up and spoke to me in Walterboro this week. One man came up to me and I, I've never had anybody recognize me. And he, he said... Hey, are you Seton Tucker? Great work. And I, I just because I just had never been recognized, I kind of just said, oh, thank you. And just walked away quickly because I was embarrassed. I'm a little, I'm actually kind of shy. Most people don't know that about me. Um, well, wait, wait, wait a second. Was that guy from Australia by any chance? He was not. From <laughs> I'm referring to the a couple of Australians who have uh, written us about how much they love Seton and that his her husband, Len, is a lucky bloke. Um, so, <laughs> so he was very nice and and just came up and said he he really liked the work we were doing. And also this week, Jenny and Kinley came up to me and they spoke to me, too. So that was really nice. I was like, That's great. I, I always get shocked when I hear about anybody listening to us. Uh, yeah, I understand. We, are, we we always say we're just so grateful that this has uh, worked out like it has and that you're enjoying it. I, I do want to straighten another thing out. Dr. Dupree even told me that she misspoke when she did this. And I had multiple emails to mattharrispodcast at gmail.com. And one of them was from Phil. He says, uh, sorry to y'all about the ammunition that goes into the shotgun. It's called a shell, not a bullet. He also says, also don't know why Dr. Dupree would say it's not recommended to use two shells with different shot size in the same gun. It's not a safety hazard because the shells are the same size. They just have different size BBs or shot inside them. and The gun doesn't know a difference. Uh, then I got 
couple other e- uh, emails about, remember she was talking about how it was birdshot and buckshot? Well, apparently in self-defense, for home self-defense, you will use two different ones. Uh, one to like slow the person down and the other one to finish them off, if you will. And so it's not that unusual. We have received so many comments, probably more than anything about that subject. But if anyone has watched the Dave Chappelle special, he talks about this very thing. Birdshot, buckshot. Uh, you, you sent me this. Was this on our Facebook page or an email I'm about to read? That was a message that was sent through our Facebook okay. page. It says, hi, I've listened to every episode of y'all's podcast and truly enjoy it. I found it bothersome in the past when it's been suggested that your podcast, quote, sides with Alec. But tonight's really did feel that way to me, which was disappointing. Even the quote at the end from Seton's dad that the state didn't present any evidence, but they gave a timestamp depiction of actual events. I'm just confused. I guess I'm a little disappointed. Of course, I'll continue to listen, but hope the narrative doesn't continue this way. I actually always really appreciate feedback. And what we've said from the beginning is we're going to point out all sides. And I think during this process, we're going to see highs from the prosecution. We're going to see highs from the defense. And I think it's okay to point those both out. I agree with you. It doesn't, we're not saying guilt or innocence when we point these things out. We're saying this is how one attorney, a very well-respected, very experienced attorney, saw or how he graded the the opening statements. Yes, and I've seen people having very differing opinions on both sides, and I think it's going to continue to be this way throughout this process. And throughout the year and a half that we've been doing the podcast, we've not been giving a lot of opinions. We've trying to present the things as they come down. And in this case, it's going to be a good day for the prosecution, a good day for the defense, and and people will rate it differently. We're just going to try to talk it through like we do. And uh, we love it, though. We love it when you write messages to us or emails to us, even if you're saying, you know, that we suck or you disagree with us. Love it. And we encourage everyone to have their own opinion. And we're Really good with that. I think we should wrap. And as always, we're grateful. Matt Harris, podcast at gmail.com. Murdoch Podcast, Facebook, murdochpodcast.com. And if you would, make sure you follow the pod, share it, and rate it. And we will talk soon. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.